He who saves one life saves the world entire. And the most important life to save is your own. After all, it's the place where you have the most power. So join shadow worker and trauma therapist Laura Giles each week on It's Not You, It's Me. We'll uncover what's in shadow and learn the things you need so you can heal yourself, grow yourself, know yourself, love yourself, be yourself, and share yourself. If you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, it's time to drop the self-sabotage and limiting beliefs. A healthy, abundant, connected life is an option. Choose it. Subscribe. And let's start manifesting it. So I did a podcast about the maiden seductress mother and crone for the ladies. The guys are asking me, what about the guys? How do boys become men? Do we have a turtle horse eagle path through life or an everyman rebel hero path to follow? That's the question the guys are asking me. Thanks for the question. We will look at that. But first, some behind the scenes updates. I always forget to tell y'all about what's going on. So first, we've got the initiation into womanhood that starts tomorrow. We have a weekly virtual gathering that prepares us for the initiation and then an optional initiation ritual in October. If you're interested in that, check out the private group for details on how to register. We have moon circles and talking circles pretty regularly in the private group. These are excellent opportunities to get to know yourself and get connected to others. We're all about living a connected life here at Surviving to Thriving, so this is a way to follow through with that and make it happen for yourself. I'm working on putting together two pilgrimages for next year, one in the spring in Cornwall and another in the fall for Greece. Those are on my spiritual retreat websites, If you've been around for a while, you've heard me talk about how insanely wonderful our last retreat was on the Holy Island. I'm so inspired that I want to do it again, but in a bigger way. So we're doing it. If you feel called to join us, check that out. There is a group of us that is uh, conditioning for long walks in any weather, day after day, and it's just been exhilarating. I'm gaining a much better connection to my body and nature, and I'm just loving it. I can't wait to do it with other people. If Surviving to Thriving helps you or inspires you, please consider supporting our growth by writing a review or sending in a testimonial. If I have helped you declare a blog or if you've enjoyed being part of an event or the community, it helps us to keep going and spread the word. So thank you. All right, guys, I don't want to give you short shrift. The ladies got the attention a couple weeks back, but what about you? How do boys become men? Like girls, boys do undergo physical changes at puberty. They begin to grow body hair. Their voice deepens and their bodies begin to produce sperm so they're able to reproduce. But they don't have monthly purification cycles or incubate life. Once they hit puberty, they produce sperm for the rest of their lives so they also don't have menopause. Basically, they don't have the same physical rites of passage that women have. So it can be hard for the boy to know when he's a man. It can also be hard for society to acknowledge when a boy becomes a man if there's no formal rite of passage or initiation. 
In cultures that have formal rites of passage and initiations, they're often literally life-threatening. Maasai boys have to kill a lion. And I don't remember what culture it is, but I read about a culture where boys dive off a cliff. If you survive, you're recognized as a man. In ancient Sparta, in order for boys to become men, they underwent training on manners, strength, courage, cultural etiquette, and endurance. He had to learn how to hunt and fight. There were a lot of cultural pressures to conform and be excellent. Then around 18 or 20, the young man had to spend a year away from society without weapons, servants, shoes, or bedding to learn self-reliance. When a boy in any of those cultures crossed over into manhood, nobody doubted who he was, his word, his power, or his status. He knew where he belonged and what he needed to do to be a member of society and to function as a man. Can you see the problem of men today? How do modern boys become men in the absence of a structure like that? Is it even important that this happens? I think so. If you look at the statistics, they're pretty appalling. Women are outpacing men in education. Women are more likely to graduate from high school. On average, females have higher grade point averages than males. There are more women in college than men, and women are more likely to have a bachelor's degree at 23 than men are. There are more women in the workforce than men, and young men are more likely to live with their parents than women. And this is in a so-called male-dominated world. What's going on here, and how do we get back on track? Well, we still have the archetypes just like women. Fortunately for us, Jungian analyst Robert Moore and Douglas Gillette came up with a modern paradigm that works and the lover, warrior, magician, and king. So let's take a look at the first one, the lover. Freud had this theory called the Oedipus complex that said boys between the ages of three and five want to kill their fathers and marry their mothers. If their home life is not traumatic, after five or so, they grow out of it by identifying with their same-sex parent and allowing their sexual instincts to go dormant until puberty. Most of Floyd's clients were women who were being sexually molested at home by their male family members, so that colored his conclusions quite a lot. But although this theory is not popular today, I think if we're going to look at how boys become men, we have to look at their early re relationship with their parents. So like girls, boys need a parent who provides for their physical needs and protects them from physical harm. It helps to have food, warmth, clothes, and not have to dodge flying shoes or hide so that they don't get hit when dad comes home after drinking. If a boy has safety, the emotional nurturing he gets from a healthy mother can lay the foundation for healthy development. Both parents are important, but mom has the milk. Mom is the snuggler and the one who probably is looking out for his needs as an infant. If she comes when he cries, changes his diaper when he's wet, and smiles at him and gives him good eye contact, he will likely grow up as a healthy lover. The healthy lover can only exist in the face of stability and safety. If one parent is a tyrant, there isn't enough love in the world to shield him because fear is about survival. and We can't love until we are safe. When we are free from threats, we can love. So let's take a look at what I mean. A healthy boy has a lot of curiosity and energy. He wants to explore, makes things, 
uh, have adventures and live life to the fullest. He's a sensuous creature who puts things in his mouth, gets his hands into everything, feels his emotion, and feels alive. He's like young George in It's a Wonderful Life who wants to see the world, conquer, and maybe come home with some really cool stories. The healthy lover is good with people. He's warm, easy to talk to, and can read other people. In other words, he has high emotional intelligence. Maybe he has a good sense of humor. Maybe he's a good speaker, but he's definitely someone you feel safe with. Although we're talking about how boys become men, the lover has the feminine energy of inspiration. He's not just a logical creature. He listens to his instincts and maybe writes poetry. He's more than a hedonist. He is interested in things we can't see, hear, taste, touch, or smell, like spirituality and the meaning of life. The lover gives him the juice that will fuel the other archetypes that blossom later in his life that will help him become a man. If the boy doesn't get the freedom to explore and his lover is not nurtured, the lover energy can end up low. And this lover is impotent. He may be a dreamer rather than a doer. Or he may display apathy and give up before he even tries. He's probably withdrawn, doesn't use good eye contact, has low self-esteem because he wasn't able to do things, conquer, and build this confidence. He probably fears rejection and doesn't trust people. He finds safety in distancing himself from people so he doesn't get a chance to feel love from others or give love to others. Do you see what I mean that love needs safety to blossom? This is the most common face of the impotent lover, but it could also show up as the super independent guy who doesn't need anybody. Maybe he's an overachiever who's always on the go, a workaholic type who downplays the importance of relationships. If he's in a romantic relationship, it may feel more like a business proposition to his partner because he doesn't really do intimacy. This guy creates distance with his status. He's above everybody else and you can never get close to him. Impotent lovers don't generally go for help. They think that they're okay. It's the other people who have problems, and as long as they stay away from them, they're fine. An impotent lover came to me once because he wanted help dealing with stress at work. He's a capable guy, he gets things done, but it's like he's invisible. A job comes up that he's well qualified for, and he's not even asked to apply. When we knock out his anger in about five minutes, and I say, is there something else I can help you with? And since his original problem is so easy, he's willing to go into something else that's work-related. We knock that out, and again I ask, is there something else we can let go of today? He brought up something else, and when working out that issue, he comes to realize that he's the issue. He's so close off to love and connection that people leave him alone because that's how he likes it. He uses invisibility as a way to stay safe. And one of the side effects of that is that they don't see him when it comes to social or professional opportunities either. I could have told him that in the first five minutes, but once he got it, withdrawing love became a choice rather than an automatic way of being. With archetypes, it's like Goldilocks. There is a middle ground that is just right and a side that's too much or too little. When the lover is too much, he's always on the prowl. He's like an addict who wants love from everyone all the time. He's needy. He falls in love easily, and then his head is turned when something new comes along. 
He's insatiable, really. He's like a child with a new toy. A new fancy thing can steal his attention away, but it only holds it until the next new thing comes along. He chases women or lovers for sure, but he might also chase adrenaline boosts that come from new things like new cars, roller coasters, or extreme sports. We call the lover the lover, but it's more than just sex. He's impulsive and passionate, but doesn't have the discipline to develop anything or see things through. In positive psychology, one of the things they say that creates happiness is experiences. So lots of people now invest in experiences over things. They might go to Paris versus buying a designer watch, for example. The extra lover is the type of guy who has done everything on his bucket list, been to all the top musical festivals, or all the places that people name drop about, but he can't tell you anything special about any of them. He may have pictures of himself with rich and famous people, but he has no connection with any of them. They're all just faces in the crowd. Or maybe he's obsessive. He could be like Captain Ahab in Moby Dick. He becomes so fixated on the object of his desire that he loses all reason and it leads to his downfall. Love is the foundation of all healthy, meaningful things, but it can only flourish in the presence of safety because without safety, we can become so afraid of losing it that we chase love or hold on too tightly. Without the safety to let ourselves feel it, we can shut the love inside of ourselves down to protect ourselves from being hurt. So guys, if your lover isn't in good shape, I'd start that road to becoming a man there. How? First, if you have a trauma history, get that under control. Living with trauma is like being surrounded by landmines. You don't know how many there are, where they are, or when they'll go off, so you're always in danger. You put people around you in danger. And no matter how much you succeed, it's only a matter of time before you trip a trigger and everything comes trembling down. So do yourself a favor and get that out of the way first. Hit me up if I can help. Check out my website or YouTube page for details on how I work. It's pretty quick and typically easy. All right, once you feel safe, another thing you can do to develop your lover energy is to savor. Everything is more beautiful and meaningful when we savor it. This is another tip from positive psychology. When you turn up the dial on how a thing tastes, feels, smells, or sounds, it becomes easier to recall because you're fully in your body. It also becomes easier to share that with someone else. And that sharing also increases the savoring. This makes your life more sensuous. If you treat mundane things like they're new, you will live like a healthy lover. It's appreciation and gratitude, but with a little tweak that makes it a little extra special. Another thing you can do is go stargazing, surfing, or forest bathing. Put yourself somewhere in nature where you open yourself up to the awe that is nature. Slow down and let yourself be inspired by the bigness of life or the smallness of yourself. Allow yourself to be that little boy who found everything so amazing again. In tribal cultures, boys become men by doing a rite of passage that has to do with hunting or making war. Warcraft, defense, and creating safety are important to the tribe, so boys are reared for the role of the warrior. Fairy tales exist to give us solutions through life and give us a template for how to be. The role in many of them is for boys to slay the dragon, save the kingdom, and defend the city. 
They are being called upon to become warriors in some fashion, but war is now a profession. It's not something that everybody does. Not only that, but since World War I, there's a growing dislike for war. There were so many lives lost in World War I that people didn't want to go through that again. Then, when Vietnam came around and the images were brought home to us on television, there was even more protests against it. And if you think about it, it makes sense. I'm gearing up for a trip to Gettysburg and Antietam, and I'm doing a lot of research on both of those battlefields and the Civil War in general. There was such a loss of life over something that we should have been able to settle diplomatically. War is hellish. It's traumatic for the soldiers, the population, and our souls, but because we have professional soldiers who go off to war, it's not in our faces. We can close our eyes to what is done on our behalf. So how does a boy prepare for the role of a warrior when you can get kicked out of school for drawing a picture of a gun nowadays? Return to the stories where there are heroes, war movies like Gladiator that feature honorable fighters. You could read biographies of inspiring fighters like Marcus Aurelius to see how to balance philosophy with fighting with honor. Traditional martial arts also teaches this. In an old-school martial arts class, you will learn Qigong, which is the basis of martial arts. It's about balance, discipline, when to fight, and how to fight. It's about how to use your opponent's energy against them, and also how to return to a place of peace when the fighting is done and sit down and have a tea ceremony. So your identity is not about being an MMA fighter or a badass. You're not a Spartan where your whole being is wrapped up in fighting. You're a part of the entire cosmos. So meditating helps. It adds a spiritual component to the fight and keeps life more holistic. The other side of death is life, so meditating on both keeps things balanced. The warrior needs a healthy dose of courage, so a great way to bring that into your life is by doing things that scare you. Ask that girl on a date. Get that degree. Start the new business. In researching for this podcast, I looked up things that scare me to see what types of things that people were afraid of. I stumbled upon this list that made my eyes water. (laughs) It had things on it like bees, forgetting to do something being hypnotized and saying no. If your list looks like that, you're a long way from fighting for things that are worth standing up for or protecting those you love. This is probably trauma stuff, so get some help with that. In all the inspiring warrior stories, the warrior is fighting for something. People think that the Civil War was about slavery. While that was an important component of it, it wasn't about slavery. It was about self-determination. It was about freedom. People were willing to die for that because they valued that. If you know what you value, it's easier to stand up when the time comes. If you don't, it's easier to get run over and become a follower or get run over by a strong dictator. Everyone needs something to believe in. If you don't know what you value, you owe it to the warrior in you to find out. So what's the warrior do? What's his energy? How does the warrior help boys become men? I'm reading about the brave generals of the Civil War who could stand with their men and rally them to fight when the odds were incredibly against them. That warrior energy is determined, focused on the desired outcome, convicted, driven, and motivated by values. He's not a sellsword. He's brave, 
and he can motivate others. When we think about ninjas and martial arts, which embody a holistic warrior who has physical, emotional, and spiritual mastery, we think of someone who is mindful, not impulsive, and emotionally detached. I think that's a beautiful balance of the masculine and feminine energies. Another blend of masculine and feminine that the warrior embodies is this idea of the creative destroyer. We know that the crone is a destroyer. That's feminine energy. Creativity is the energy of fire, which is masculine. Together, the warrior wields this to destroy what's outdated, not working, or not healthy, to make way to birth something new. It's purposeful. Maybe we kill the boy to allow the man to be born. The warrior gets a bad rap in our society. I think this is why so many boys are failing to become men. We don't have a healthy role model to aspire to. Until we put the warrior back in his rightful place as a healthy, natural, necessary part of society, we will continue to see dropout dads. Men who live with their parents because they can't take care of themselves and high rates of crime. Boys have testosterone. They're aggressive and need a healthy outlet for that. Embracing the warrior energy by fighting for things they believe in, living with healthy boundaries and being of service to others is a great thing. When the warrior energy is squashed due to social learning to be nice and the boy feels powerless, weak, and becomes soft, he may be a pushover who does what he's told and secretly hates it. He may become a people pleaser because getting dumped on is a way to feel important and noticed. This weak warrior may use manipulation to get his way. He's probably passive-aggressive because he can't ask for what he wants. He probably uses a lot of negative self-talk because even if he's following the social script, somewhere inside, he knows he's failing himself. When the warrior is a warmonger because he's too much, he's dominating, full of rage, controls others through power and cruelty. He has no feelings and is often critical. He doesn't do what he does in service to others. He serves only himself. When you think of the horrible dictators and cult leaders from history, they're almost always in that category. So Hitler, Pol Pot, Idi Amin, Jim Jones. These guys seem like real go-getters because he can grind himself and anyone under him into the ground in pursuit of what he wants, but it's really an effort for him to outrun his inner demons and insecurity. I had a client with a warmonger mentality once. He was literally a gangbanger. He had spent most of his life incarcerated and didn't want to be in prison anymore. He's the guy who would bump into you on the sidewalk because it's demeaning to move out of the way for someone, even if it's a little old lady. Getting this guy to soften and express healthy warrior energy took about a couple of years because he had a lot of trauma, but he got there. Now he's able to have a conversation with people without assuming that they're setting him up for an attack. His guard is relaxed enough now that he can agree to disagree. He doesn't feel the need to flex when he walks in so that people don't try him. He's a completely different person. A healthy warrior is balanced. He fights for a purpose and then works towards reconciliation. It's not his way or the highway. He really is a servant of the people and works to unite all people like Generals Grant and Lee did at the end of the Civil War. We had World War II because that wasn't how World War I ended. It ended in humiliation. Boys become men when they feel like a man. Fighting, winning, and maintaining peace and dignity goes a long way in creating that sense of self 
that sense of belonging to a community and feeling good about it. When we push men to avoid confrontation and seek peace at any cost, we deprive them of healthy ways to express and deny their manliness. Men are not women, nor should they be. Avoiding confrontation actually exacerbates trauma because you have to confront the thing that's triggering you for your brain to learn to differentiate between what is safe and what is not. So avoiding conflict makes conflict avoidance worse. That's where we get stonewalling from, which is a relationship killer. So everything's connected. Healthy archetypes create healthy people. If we're looking at the male archetypes and stages of life, the lover happens from birth to mid-adolescence. The lover continues to be active throughout life, but that's when the energy begins to develop and is the strongest. The warrior is always present as well, but kicks in mid-adolescence when boys begin to get a sense of self as someone separate from his parents. He starts to have his own thoughts and desires, and the thing he is fighting for first is quite likely his own sense of self. The magician kicks in, I'd say, in middle adulthood. If we think of the magician as a trickster, we know that kids like to play tricks and create illusions, but the magician is more than that. He's wise, and wisdom takes time to develop. He has some life experience and can think conceptually. He can apply data in creative ways to see things that others may not see. He always has a way with words and can persuade people to his way of thinking. He carries secret knowledge and can master technology. In stories, he may be the shaman, witch doctor, visionary, or healer. In the mundane world, he's the clockmaker who can fix anything, the lawyer who spins the tale that the jury believes. He's Einstein, whose thought experiments led him to his theory of relativity. The magician's greatest weapon is his imagination, but he's often secretive about it. Although he may be the master of technology, he pairs it with intuition. There is that marriage of the masculine and feminine again. This creates the magic that eludes most people who are simply linear logical thinkers. So the magician can talk you to you about spiritual things or things that are written off as fantasy as easily as he can talk to you about how a toaster works. The magician is the one who turns fanciful ideas into reality or proves that the impossible is real. The magician archetype is a hard one for a lot of people to wrap their head around. Some keywords to help with that are alchemist, transformation, and mystery. When you think about those things, it's easy to see why the magician is a bit of a shapeshifter. It's hard to put your hands on those, right? What is the secret knowledge that the magician needs to share so that boys become men? It's about how to make that transformation. The healthy magician is this incredible creature who has gained a lot of knowledge, knows how things work, and wants to share that to transform society and help people get to where he is. It's your grandfather who taught you how to change a tire, woo a girl, or how to hunt. It's your teacher who inspired you to apply for college and encouraged you to write. It's your best friend's father who took you hunting and fishing and taught you survival skills. Or maybe it's your next door neighbor who you never had a conversation with, but you watched how he was always polite with his wife and how loving they always were together. So the magician is a teacher, but he's a teacher of mysterious knowledge. He teaches things we don't talk about. Without him, boys can feel like they have to go find themselves. They probably aren't searching for themselves. They're more likely seeking to prove themselves and to belong somewhere. The magician gives them that. 
And it's hard to become a magician if you don't have one in your life to teach you the hidden little things that make that transformation happen. When this magician energy is alive and well, it lights a fire within us that makes us want to discover, create, synthesize, and leave the world a little better than how we found it. When the magician energy is too high, which is the most common way I see this, it shows up as someone who knows a little something, but promises more than he can deliver. And it may maybe keep teasing about more to come, but never comes through. There is this huge coaching world out there that's full of marketers who are great at marketing, but not very good at delivering the goods. Or they leave people feeling good, but don't create any real lasting change. I'm not saying they're doing it intentionally, but it happens nonetheless because the person isn't wise enough to know what he doesn't know. Or maybe he's too insecure to give up the goods because he doesn't want others to become his rivals or surpass him. It's not just the coaching industry that does this. We see this low energy magician anywhere anything is sold, from Wall Street to politics. They're everywhere trying to gain importance or influence by getting you to buy something or to love them. Or sometimes this high magician can be so involved with thinking about things that it never moves into anything practical. He only entertains ideas and doesn't put them into motion. He doesn't commit to any position for fear of being wrong. Or maybe he is someone who likes to tell you that you're wrong, but won't state his position to steer clear of any criticism. I love that guy. <laughs> when the magician energy is low, he can look like a dreamer. He can see possibilities everywhere, but his procrastination means his eyes never, ideas never get off the ground. Or he gets started, but when the hard work sets in, he gives up because it isn't coming easily. The problem with this guy is that he really is quite visionary. So for him to give up and not live up to his potential is crippling. He deals with it by begrudging others success or even sabotaging them so they can't move beyond him. All these things come up from negative early experiences. I once worked with a low energy magician who had great ideas and the ability to pull them off, but never follows through with anything. He's scared to death of failing or being laughed at and he never tries. This one took a while to unravel too, because that wily magician can weave stories that hide the truth and justify reality, but the body never lies. And that's how I diffused that bomb. We bypassed his intellect and went through to the body and the whole thing just came crumbling down. So what if you do, if you are on the high or low side or have no magicians to mentor you, you can tap into this by being creative, play. You know, I love to play. I say this all the time, do something for the experience of it and you never know what magic can pop out. Do something meditative where your mind is shut off. So for me, that's hiking. I get the most amazing insights from hiking. I solve problems in my sleep. I'm totally serious. I do most of my heavy lifting when I'm not thinking. Find your way of doing that by doing something meditative. Joining a men's group is another idea. Or find some manly men who are doing something out in nature, some extreme sports, or something related to survivalist stuff. Do something that taps into your creativity with other men. I have a private group because... I strongly believe that the top five people you spend the most time with highly influence your thoughts, behaviors, and outcomes. If you don't have healthy people, join my group. We're always positive, real, vulnerable, and curious. It gives you a place to practice all those things. 
If we talk about the magician, someone will know that language so we can have a worthwhile conversation. Now we get to the king. The king needs all three of these archetypes to exist because he's the administrator, the CEO. The king can't be just, wised, and loved without the lover. He can't protect his people without the warrior. He can't make great decisions for now and the future without the magician. So all of them need to be in the healthy zone. The king is balanced, centered, and knows who he is. He knows what he believes in, and he's a servant of those in his realm. In practical terms, this could be his family, his staff, or his neighbors. He's connected to others and is in a position to make sure that those in his sphere of influence work together for the benefit of all. The king stands between heaven and earth. He's a listed. He's looking out for the physical needs as well as the spiritual ones. If you think about your favorite leaders, they all embody the king archetype. They make tough decisions. They aren't afraid of change. They can get things done. They can take charge. They can administer complex systems so all the different pieces of the puzzle work together. The king is also the standard bearer. Women wear white wedding dresses because Queen Victoria created that trend. Nehru jackets were popularized by Nehru. So he sets the standard. The king is quite like the benevolent father. He embodies integrity. He does what he says he's going to do and means what he says. You can trust him. He's a protector. The king makes sure that his borders are strong and that any encroachment is strongly repelled. He's the legal system. He creates fair laws and maintains order. He embodies fertility so that life continues and thrives. And by this, I mean all forms of creativity, not just making babies. He's a supporter of ideas, arts, crops, and technology. He wants everyone to flourish. And one of the ways he does this is to bless the life of others with material things, compliments, recommendations, referrals, promotions, or whatever he has to share. And when his life is done, we see the impact of his having been here and what he leaves behind. Maybe this means we name a school after him, or he has a huge funeral, but it probably means that he has changed the culture in some way. His legacy is peace, prosperity, or it could be something tangible like a pyramid, but most often it's love. Men are not typically literally kings, so what this looks like in a practical sense is that you're the ruler of your own home or your business, and that's definitely enough for anyone. Now the high energy king is a tyrant. He's all about himself and uses his power to serve himself. He rules from a space of fear. He's afraid that someone will take his power, so he rules with an iron fist. He's afraid that someone will undermine him, so he trusts no one. He's not a servant of his people. He sees people as resources to exploit for his pleasure or gain. There's no love or service here. When this king dies or is deposed, his only legacy is pain and destruction. The low-energy king is also plagued by fear, but... It's because he doesn't have the chops for the job. His lover, warrior, and magician aren't well-developed either, so he may be a puppet or someone else is pulling the strings. Maybe he's a mama's boy or he's henpecked. When kings were crowned because of birth rather than their ability to lead, I'm sure this happened often. So how do you find your inner king without a mentor to help? First, Break away from your mother and all the supposed to's to find your own voice. Figure out who you are. The king is a leader and you have 
to lead yourself. That means you have to have good boundaries and protect your physical borders of your body and your home, as well as your emotional borders. You have to know how to resolve conflict, delegate, network, and make decisions. As a person of power, people will seek to seduce and corrupt you. You have to know your value so you don't fall prey to lust, money, or power because that's the downfall of most rulers. They get drunk on their own power and forget that they're servants. So integrity has got to be a part of your day-to-day life. And order. Take care of things, like making your bed in the morning and walking the dog at a regular schedule. Order happens every day in the little things. It might sound boring, but I think of all the archetypes, the king is the most boring. (laughs) He's a servant. He doesn't get to live for himself, but to whom much is given, much is required. That's just how it works. I want to reiterate that we need kings to create healthy men. We need male leaders, and I hope this inspires you to grow yourself and become the change that the world needs. Grow a little each day, and one day you will arrive. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please give us a positive review. Thanks again for the question. If you're a woman who's interested in growing into your feminine identity, the Initiation into Womanhood series starts tomorrow. Come and join us in the private group. The link is in the show notes. If you have blocks to becoming a healthy man in all your juicy glory, hit me up. I can help. I'm Laura Giles, and I'll see y'all next week. Thanks for being here. Ciao. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help the podcast thrive, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from Laura Giles, you can follow her on all her socials at Laura Giles 804. See you next time.